And we are back for our Spooktober episode of Ladies First. I am Corey, joined by Taylor. Hello. And we're going to be talking about Taylor of the Swift variety, Taylor's favorite Taylor. I have a brand and I keep to it and I'm fine with that. Um, but we actually are going to be talking about Taylor Swift as a millennial power icon for this month. I uh, figured it's only fitting since she's got another album dropping. Uh, yeah, she actually bumped that up, didn't she? Because uh, Miss Adele decided to drop an album. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember hearing rumors that Adele was going to be dropping her album on November 19th. And then before there was an, anything official, Taylor Swift officially announced that she was moving it to the 12th. That's what got everybody convinced Adele was going to be dropping her album on the 19th. It was Taylor Swift moving her release up a week. It was the only thing that would like explain her changing the release date of an album, especially by a week, less than two months out. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to complain. It means that we get the album- music sooner. Yeah, and we'll have it out on November 13th, which will make it extra special. Especially because Red is a special album within the Taylor Swift album canon, too. Like, that album is just... Like, I will, I was already a fan before the album came out, but the Red era was very special and something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and part of that has to do with the legacy of All Too Well and how the fans relate to that, but we can get into that later. <laughs> but also, I mean, like, it's still cool. Adele's got another record dropping so i'm excited about that and i i I appreciate that taylor was like no nope i'm gonna move my nod she can have that to herself yeah and i'm interesting to see how adele um evolves as an artist with that album um as long as she just railroads ed sheeran i am fine as long as she just plows over him i am perfectly happy I think that's pretty much a given with how like obsessed the world is with Adele and how, you know, she's been on this hiatus for a good few years now. So it's that's like, how, that's how she goes though. Like she has oh, a few years. I just, I, I, I don't care if it's Taylor. I don't care if it's Adele. I just want somebody to run roughshod over Ed Sheeran and his, Oh, well I'm going to let Elton John or Dua Lipa have the number one spot i can take it back whenever i want i've got signed albums ready to sell like bro shut up you arrogant little troll yeah, the audacity he- to act like you're going to let elton john have something i didn't hear about that but that doesn't honestly surprise me um, well i saw it because somebody was slamming taylor over it of like oh that's why she moved her album release because she didn't want to compete in the charts against Adele. I'm like, if she really cared about that, she would move it more than just one week. Y'all, like, I know some of y'all hate her, like it's your own personal business, but come on, you use your brains a little bit. If she actually cared about it, she'd move it more than one week in either direction. Definitely. Like, I do know that numbers matter to her to degree, but it's not at the same level with her. Like she's definitely let a lot of that go. And hasn't she like, said she doesn't really like how obsessed Sharon is with those numbers? I don't think she said that she doesn't like it, but she doesn't understand it. And she, while he's trying to do all the number game stuff, she's just like, I, I'm just going to keep on cruising and do my thing. Mm-hmm. Like, if, like, I know she'd be happy if she like got a number one, like sales week, for example, especially for this album and what it represents in the music industry with the re-recording project. But it's not like the end all be all. You yeah, know, like if she really cared, she would not drop her album just one week before Adele came and smashed everything. If she cared that much. Honestly, we were all like, Taylor, why are you releasing Red in mid-November? It should be coming out in October because it is the autumn, u- ultimate al- album for autumn. And releasing it in mid-November is a bit late to really experience the full autumn vibe, but... I don't really care. I'm just happy it's coming out and that we're getting it. You know, I'm like so many, like that's, this is divide between like newer fans and like fans who've been around longer. And the newer fans are just constantly like, we want 
constant social media engagement. We were on constant projects and da, 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 da. And I'm just like, I'm a veteran. I'm just like, she can drop whatever she wants at any time. I'm just going to pop along and enjoy it. I mean, that's the thing. Like her career is long, especially for a recording artist. Like I think some people grossly overestimate how many artists have careers as long as like Taylor or Beyonce or Adele. Absolutely. Like I was just re-listening to her first album before we hopped onto our call and just thinking about that came out all the way back in 2006 and how she has navigated and evolved with each shift in the music industry and done it so gracefully and just really been able to adapt as a businesswoman and as a performer. You know, whether it is the shift to MP3s as the CD physical music mm-hmm. market started to dwindle and then she shifted into streaming and did that very well. And now she's using TikTok and it's great. Um, one of the ways you know she's a very adaptable businesswoman is that a few weeks ago, the song Wildest Dreams was trending really hard on TikTok due to like some Zoom effect or whatever. And that was leading to a lot of streams on the original song. So she just surprise dropped her, a re-recorded version and was like, hey, if you want to use um, Wallace Dreams for TikTok or stream it, you can use my, let's use my version now. Even though we were planning on Red coming out, she's like, boom, here's a 1989 song. Have fun, kids. Yeah. And I love like the layer of spite involved in that too. Of like, no, oh, yeah. I don't want that. I don't want certain people to get any more money than possible. But yeah, the way that she was like keeping her finger on the pulse and was able to pivot to be like, here, have this F these guys. <laughs> it's so great. It's like, uh, when I go to, into target to get my copy of the red album, it's just going to be like breathing in the feminist spite. I'm so but, excited. And, and here's the thing is like, as far as genres go, like there are people that try to make genre switches and do not do well. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them can pivot and do very well. It is not typical for country artists to make such a genre switch and do so well. I remember Garth Brooks trying to do that whole Chris Gaines thing that was just no. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Taylor did not adopt a pseudonym to do all the other mm-hmm. stuff. And I know people are going to be like, well, bro country came out and it incorporated some blah, blah, blah. I'm like, bro country sucks. Y'all just admit it. It Amen. sucks. Yeah. Like, look- the first Taylor Swift song I heard, uh, I was, I think 24, maybe 23, 23, 24. It was before I moved to New York. So I was still in Oklahoma. This is dating myself, but it was our song. Oh, was I was the just first. And it was on the country music. That's how I, I knew her as a country music artist because mm-hmm. there was Miranda Lambert song of like something, something in this small town or everybody knows everybody's business, blah, blah, blah. And then this, mm-hmm. that ended and a little fiddle thing started playing. I love fiddle. I love it. I yeah. love fiddle music but and I kind of perked up a little bit and I'm like what's this and there's this young 16 17 year old whatever and I was like oh this is a really fun song it is such a bop I literally was listening to it before we got on our call and it it is aged so well like I hear it come on and I'm just like I just want to start dancing and bopping my head and just it has such an energy to it the crossover appeal to it Mm -hmm. you know yeah. That was, what was it? The first country, she was the first country artist to win a VMA. Yeah, that was for You Belong With Me, but you, even our song had huge crossover appeal. Yeah. When she, it was so funny too, because early in her career when that stuff that was going is, I on. I think our song is one of the most country songs she's done. You Belong Absolutely. With Me, like you can kind of start to see her playing with genres just a little mm-hmm. bit. Our song is just full blown, grade A, beefy country. Yeah. And, and it's fantastic. It's so good. It kind of embodies the best elements of the country with the kind of instru- instrumentation and the lyrical storytelling aspect, you know, because mm-hmm. there are so many country songs that are about country music and she plays with that so well. And yeah, our song is great. And 
in regards to like crossover appeal, it's very interesting when you look back at old interviews because when she was like 17, 18 years old she, and people would mention, oh, you have crossover appeal, you have country songs on pop radio. She'd be like, oh, you know, I'm just doing my thing. I call it spillover, you know, I'm not trying to. And just, it's very interesting to see you then. Looking you know, back, it's like you can almost, yeah. I'm not saying she was thinking this in the back of her mind, but you can almost imagine she was thinking this in the back of her mind. It's like, oh, trust me, when I cross over, you'll know. <laughs> oh yeah, I could believe that. And also just, you know, being in the country music and how like male dominated it is and mm-hmm. growing and just not wanting to You want to, to talk come- about icon talking about how bro dominated country music became because the radio networks just flat out gave mandates like don't play too many women's songs oh yeah yeah and it had been an issue for years and all Mm -hmm. of a sudden taylor comes out with folklore wham you want to talk about power icon like all of a sudden there's a woman at the top of the country charts again oh yeah yeah. No album buildup, no promo, no nothing. She just drops it. Next week, she's number one of the charts. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Folklore also has country elements to it, especially with the song Betty, but it's a folk alternative album. She did a second genre pivot into a third genre as if it were nothing. And that is one of the things that's so cool with her career is that you never know what she's going to do next. You can maybe guess, but she's always going to surprise you. Because she's always experimenting, always like pushing the boundaries. And, and that's what. Here's oh, my thing. Ahead. Like Taylor Swift, her vocals have grown so much since mm-hmm. Fearless. Oh, yeah. I don't think it is being mean to say she is never going to be like a Beyonce or a Pink or an Adele. That's not yeah. what her vocal range is. However, her skills as a songwriter and as a lyricist are just incredible. And I, she does not get near enough credit for her skills as a songwriter and as a lyricist. She does not get enough credit for that. Definitely. Have you heard her song, Cold As You? It's from her first album. If I have, it has been so long ago, I've honestly probably forgotten it. <laughs> totally fair. I was just re-listening to it because it's one of her most lyrically striking songs on the, her first album. And just what's one of the great things about these re-recording projects is we get to hear these old songs of her matured vocals because her vocals have really grown. So mm-hmm. it's like we get to feel the full weight of the songs in a new way. Well, in the music production, too, I was watching Legal oh, yeah. Eagle on YouTube and he got a music producer in to compare um, one of her old songs versus one of the re-recorded ones. And he just said immediately the music is better. Mm-hmm. Like the snare. He was like, the snare is so much crisper. The music production is so much better. And then he's like, and also, you know, her voice has grown, too. So it's like, yes, she is trying to get them as close to the originals as possible just because that means people will go to hers Mm -hmm. for everything but you can tell like the music quality is just better because she's got more control definitely you know I remember when I watched an interview with Nathan Chapman who was her original co-producer how the late the label she was at at the time Big Machine was upset that she spent like two hours or so working on a song, which I think was was the song that became You Belong With Me, possibly. And so it's the idea that, oh, she took more than an hour to record a song. That's a problem. And it's like, but but why? You want to get the song right. You know, you want to get that nailed down. Mm-hmm. And so her work ethic couldn't really be fully appreciated where she was at the time when she was making her first few albums. And well, now, oh, go ahead. And here's the thing, like the way she approaches what she's writing, she's very big picture about her songs. Mm -hmm. Like she is writing a song, but she's also writing, you can tell like she's writing a story in her head for how this is like playing out for how somebody is going to receive this song. I mean, you know, you've got people that they're a recording artist. They don't write their own music. They just get songs from, you know, other people Mm -hmm. and they're just singing it, trying to fling whatever they can to get a top radio hit but you can tell when there is intent Mm -hmm. behind a song 
like you can tell that there's a level of connectivity there. Absolutely. That, that it's very deliberate. Yeah. In an interview, I think in 2019, she actually talked about how when she was, when she makes an album, she's very aware of the track listing and the different types of songs, you know, mm-hmm. how having a song that's going to be fun for singing in like a stadium with a crowd or having, you know, also a good ballad to harp, to sing, to wail to, you know, having different types of song to really create a spectrum of emotion for an album. Well, even with just her music videos, they are so well thought out because mm-hmm. a lot of videos anymore, it's just like, oh, we're going to have party sing and do whatever. You know, th- there's mm-hmm. not nearly as much money and or thought put into music videos as there used to be. But you watch a Taylor Swift film and it's like, I'm watching a little movie. Oh, yeah. Like even for her, like more relaxed videos, like, for example, with the video Endgame, it's like, it seems pretty straightforward, but when you actually start thinking about the song lyrics and how they relate to the video, and it's like, it gets a bit deeper, you know? Because um, in the video, she starts out like singing on a yacht and partying and she wants to find her end game. And then at the end of the video, she's like hanging out, just doing regular fun things with friends, like getting takeout or having a New Year's Eve party. And she's like dressed much more simply. And it's the idea mm-hmm. that, when you find your end game, it doesn't have to be big, like parties on yachts with champagne. It can literally just be having fun with your friends and your end game is going to happily see you come out of the shower in a bathrobe with wet hair and they're still going to be like, heck yeah, this is a cool person. Well, and what, what I also like is like, there's layers to what she does. Again, it's the deliberateness and mm-hmm. you can tell you're watching something from a person who is very well-read thematically both in like literature and in film like the references she put into um what was it if i were a man oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean like i'm not lo- just talking about the scooter dooter little no no, no yeah i'm like- talking like there's stuff like from older older films that film buffs who finally watch it like hey wait a minute this is from you know so and so like yeah, there's sh- a level of deliberateness there that I feel like we've kind of lost a bit with some other wider music video offerings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she even hired the director of photography for The Wolf of Wall Street. To, you know, she really brought in someone familiar with that kind of work. And now mm-hmm. he's her DP, you know, he works with her now. And it says a lot that you have someone who's been nominated for an Oscar and has worked with like Scorsese and stuff who wants to work with her regularly on music videos now which she directs, like, it's so cool. And it says a lot that you have these huge, like people in the industry, um, like who want to work with her and who respect her work ethic, you know? For example, Andrew Lloyd Webber recently talked about how- The only uh, good thing that came from Cats was getting to work with Taylor Swift. (laughs) It was so funny. It's just so true. Cause like, everyone was like, oh, wow, she really prepared. And it's like, of course she prepared. She's a theater nerd who loves cats. She's going to, of course, be prepared if she's going to possibly be in the same space as Andrew Lloyd Webber. Because she understands the seriousness and like his, you know, contributions and artists to culture. And she's not going to like take that lightly. Taylor Swift is not a chill person in general. Like she is very much feels deeply and no self is self-aware about it and embraces it and is just mm-hmm. 100% extra and that's great and that's one of the reasons she's been such an icon an icon for this millennia is how she's just validated so many girls and women about chasing their professional interests being creative and feeling deeply and not letting society's judgment stop you from feeling well and like I've told you before um her music video for ready for it Oh yeah, I think it's just like so that's good. one of those films. It's like it it is a film. It is not a music video. It is a music film. Oh yeah, like if that were the trailer for a blockbuster, I would go see the blockbuster in theater because it looks that good and like you could see so much potential with it as a hour and a half movie. But I'm just like th- that's just the level of effort she puts into what she does. Did she have to go all out for that video? No. Did she say, I have an idea I really want to do? Let's do it. Yes. <laughs> also, like, can I just say reputation is so horrifically underrated? 
Oh my God, I'm like the ultimate reputation fan. So I will go off for two hours about that album. I mean, I'm partially biased because it came out during a very difficult period of my life and it was like this anger. But aside all that, it's a good album. And I really hope that in the coming years, people will reevaluate it. I'm and- hopeful that when it gets re-released, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it gets its due because I it also dropped at a time when it was the end thing to hate Taylor Swift. Because our country absolutely loves building people up and then tearing them down, especially women. Absolutely. Um, Now, obviously, Taylor Swift is like the whitest of white women ever and is obviously very privileged. We acknowledge that. We're not saying like, oh, she's whatever. We acknowledge she had a privileged start. She is a white woman. There are certain things she does not have to navigate. We're not saying that she hasn't. However, she is still a woman in a public space and she is a powerful, outspoken woman in a public space. And as we have witnessed, there's a lot of people that don't like that. No. Yeah, it's been very interesting seeing all this discussion around Britney Spears and other starlets of the early 2000s, mm-hmm. early to mid 2000s. And, you know, just how people like, oh, maybe we should have like not castigated these women and helped fuel the public breakdowns. And it's been interesting for me to watch as a Taylor Swift fan who, you know, was a fan during the red era and that the red era is when the slut shaming really started. And that slut shaming partially affected the way the public, you know, approached red. And I feel like the red album didn't get its full due in 2012 to 2013 because of the constant slut shaming from the media that she dealt with, you know, it was a very formative time for me as a feminist because you watch one of the most privileged women in society when you consider race and class, who also is just making music and dresses in a rather normal way, who is still being completely ruined by the media. And just the, it helped me internalize from a young age that as a woman, no matter where you are in society, you can never do anything right without eventually the world turning on you. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the only like feminist Swifty to have this. One of my close Swifty friends also was same age, you know, mid-teens during the red era and just how formative it was to watch a woman who was only in her early 20s be constantly bashed for dating and being accused of dating for songwriting material. And so I hope I'm that like- with... That's my thing. How many men get to write songs about their exes and nobody bats an eye? Yeah. And it doesn't help. And it's part of that. I definitely think is because, you know, she was, she's not only written breakup songs, but she's written breakup songs that are, I tried and you didn't, and you hurt me. And I'm not going to be silent about that. And there are a lot of men and even some women who don't like that kind of writing. Cause it's, you know, very much holding, men accountable for their actions mm. and relationships. I mean, one of her earliest hits was called Picture to Burn, which was basically a rant song about a guy who like lied to her and possibly cheated on her. And it was really fun. But when she's not writing about high school boys, but about men in her, the industry, it's a lot more people were uncomfortable with that. Cause it's like, oh, this is a young woman with power who's not afraid to <laughs> express her feelings about men. Oh no. And so, yeah, it's, I'm hoping that with Red coming out next month that we'll see people start to maybe, you know, reevaluate how they approached it 10 years ago and that maybe, hey, we shouldn't slut shame women or anyone, but let people, women be creators and express their feelings. And I know things have gone better in the past 10 years with that. I mean, mm-hmm. just, you know, I worry for Olivia Rodrigo Sometimes I'm like, she's so young and just, it's like the media will turn on her, but I hope that things will be better for her. And I think they are since, you know, people were immediately like on her side of the breakup, I guess, and just not as being voyeuristic about it and just being like, yeah, girl, right. About breakup songs, go you. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not saying that there is nothing that you could be critical about Taylor Swift on because like, here's my thing. You can't just wholesale stand somebody and not engage with their work critically. Um, Do I still kind of side eye that two months where she dated an 18 year old Kennedy child? Well, man, because he's 18, kind of a little bit, but I mean, 
that's something that I acknowledge that I maybe am a little bit side eye about. And do I wish that she maybe could have spoken up about some things politically sooner? Yes. But at the same time, I, I have since seen a lot of celebrities open their mouths to speak about politics. And I'm like, man, you could have just sat there and not said anything. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm okay with this now. I, I would much rather after seeing the parade of celebrities in the last five years, open their mouths to speak about stuff politically and insert both of their feet. I would much rather they stay quiet and only speak on something like they've actually educated themselves about. In regards to the political stuff, she did say, I think in a 2019 interview that one of the reasons she didn't speak on politics in 2016 is because her reputation was in such a bad place that she was afraid it would damage how people saw Hillary Clinton, Mm -hmm. you know, the idea of two snake women, of course, that one snake supports the other snake woman kind of thing, you know, the lying women together, which I had already been theorizing privately. I was like, "Mm, she probably saw Hillary was doing with it, didn't want to like accidentally add fuel to the fire well i'm also i'm like i i i have evolved my opinion on we demand that every celebrity have a political stance and i'm like why are we demanding this because you're going to come across celebrities that are going to have political stances you don't like and then all of a sudden we're going to get back into cancel wars and that's not going to help anybody no and like like, why are we demanding that people who are not in politics speak out on politics because I guarantee you there is a 50% chance they're going to say either something you vastly disagree with or say something so boneheaded that you're just like, man, you, you really should have just kept your mouth shut. I think having social media sites like Twitter have really warped people's brains on this stuff. Like maybe the parasocial aspect has been ramped up to the nth degree. Yes. And I think just, I don't know, like, I don't know. I wasn't like, I remember in 2016 when people were upset about politics and like, I mean, she didn't say who she voted for, but it's clearly obvious if you follow her who she would have because she's supported liberal causes for so many years, in both in like things she's mentioned in speeches or in her donations. Or but just it ha- became this online yeah. thing to equate her with like Hitler. Yeah. Because which a is- certain segment of people who liked her stuff were conservative and she didn't somehow feel like she needed to speak up against them publicly. And I'm like, well, you don't demand that anybody else does this. No. And also we don't know what a person is dealing with privately and they may Mm -hmm. not want to have to deal with internet backlash. And she literally said that at that time she had her team, her team took her phone away and they, she gave them control of stuff because she couldn't deal with it because her mental health was so bad. And also, With our current political landscape, I wouldn't want to wade into that either because I fully believe there are some people who are nut job enough that they would want to do me harm. Oh, absolutely. And that's something she has to deal with every day. I mean, she's um, had stalkers that aren't even politically motivated that have broken into her dwelling residences. Yeah. And stalking is still not treated very seriously as a crime. Like a guy a few months ago was arrested because he was like, had broken into a New York place, like for the for for the fifth or sixth time in that many months and had been like let go in his own recognizance on bail or whatever by the judge and this dude already had like two restraining orders from separate female celebrities and just I don't think enough people realize how dangerous it is sometimes to be a woman in the public eye Mm -hmm. just when men will fixate on you and the backlash and stuff um yeah, like even when she was in her early 20s, she had a full security team. And now she said a red flag for her with dating is if a guy thought she was some diva who just wanted entourage. And she's like, no, I literally need this because so many guys have sent letters to me wanting about wanting to kidnap me and chain me up in my basement. And, I mean, like, and this isn't just Taylor Swift. Ariana Grande, um, on September 23rd, there is a 23-year-old man that was arrested outside of her California, her Hollywood residence, mm-hmm. with a knife. That's terrifying. He had been, and she even says, she told the court, I'm afraid for my life. This man has been regularly coming to my home for over six months, and I'm terrified. 
Yeah, like I recently watched a Black Mirror episode for the first time and it was actually the 15 million merits one, which is about capitalism. And one of the main storylines is about a young woman who goes on a singing show and eventually is kind of coerced into be jo- working for a pornographer. And just seeing her on the stage being heckled by the crowd about her appearance and being sexualized by just pe- people in the audience and at the judging table, I saw a lot of resonate, it resonated a lot with me as someone who's read up on a lot on female celebrities and just what they, the ringers they're put through, mm-hmm. you know, in a, a relatively unknown interview she did with the Canadian um, interviewer in like 2011, um, the interviewer asked her about, you know, how she didn't like to sexualize herself. That was something Taylor Swift has always been very private about is how she dresses and presents herself in photo shoots and stuff. And Taylor Swift made a, you know, the interviewer was like, have, you know, people on set or photographers ever tried to like pressure you, talk you into taking off your clothes. And Taylor Swift just said, no, not anymore. And this was several years before me too. And I just think it really embodies just how much goes on behind the scenes with women in entertainment that we don't see, whether it's having to field, um, you know, harassers or stalkers or men in the industry who want to take advantage of you, like on photo shoots and stuff. And it's like one of the reasons I try, I tend to go easy on female celebrities as long as they don't really put their foots in their mouths, because we really do not know what they are dealing with as women in the public eye. Mm -hmm. Unless their name is Nicki Minaj, in which case, lady... You are coming out for a lot of really disturbing people. Yeah, I remember hearing about that stuff with her husband's, um, with the, so for those who don't know, Nicki Minaj, it recently came out that a woman is suing Nicki Minaj, Nicki Minaj's husband for harassment because Nicki Minaj's husband is a criminally convicted sex offender who has sexually assaulted the woman when he and the woman were teenagers. And I don't know, Nicki Minaj has given me very bad vibes for several years um, for a few things. And so with this, I was like, ooh, that's a thing. Not good, Nicki Minaj, not good. Anyways, let's, we'll take this back to Taylor. Um, I know I talked about parasocial before because we'll go off on a tangent and we won't come back. Um, (laughs) I talked about the parasocial, like what we have, what we consider parasocial now in the age of like TikTok, Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, I don't even count Facebook anymore. Um, it's very, it's a different type of parasocial than what was at the beginning of like the 2010s. Mm-hmm. And the entitlement level and the projection level and the, all of that is just amped up to the nth degree in ways that are unhealthy. And I mean, we had an episode, what was it, two months ago, the go touch grass episode of like, yeah, some of y'all need to get off the internet and go outside and take a break. But what's interesting to me is Taylor Swift's version of parasocial with her fans, which started way, way before we have all this current, but her level is like, it's, it's more of like, I want to not play some part on Instagram. Like I want to try to form genuine connections with my fans in ways that I feel safe, but is still meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, so for those who aren't very familiar with Taylor Swift's early career, she started out on MySpace. It was like one of the first musicians to really use social media at the time, which was MySpace to connect with fans and build up engagement. And she would like talk to fans on MySpace um, she actually would message, fa- be like to her fans, hey, if you listen to my songs, let me know what radio stations you're listening them to. And she'd, you know, then go to radio stations with all these statements from fans and be like, these fans are listening. My songs are getting people's attention. And then, of course, you know, she, th- she would thank fans at award shows. And one uh, CMT award in like 2007 that I think was a fan voted award and it was she it was believed that some of her winning was related to her connection with fans on MySpace, and she actually brought the award with her on tour so fans could take pictures with it. And that's not a one-off thing. She's done stuff like that 
in later years. Like she's gone out of her way to connect with fans and to do things for them. You know, whether it's bringing things for them to pose with, like when she do her secret listening parties at her houses, she would actually let fans pose with her Grammys. You know, she did a, th- a very famous 13 hour meet and greet. And I think it even went longer than 13 hours. And she was very much, you know, they're waiting all this time for me. I can, I should wait for them. You know, I should be upstanding with them, you know, and just very much recognizing all the support fans have given her and wanting to give that back. You know, there's a very, um, there's a clip of her like, like behind the scenes thing before a one-off concert she did in 2016. And she was like walking past a dressing room or a hallway and she like, looked at this wall of letters for a second and it was very touching because most people wouldn't notice but those were fan letters and she just collects them all and doesn't get rid of them you know fans would you know she would be seen wearing fan gifts like bracelets or shirts just because fans had given her and she loved them i mean um there was a series of candids in 2018 and when she was in new york and she was seen wearing a t-shirt that a fan had given her all the way back in 2011 like she does not take that stuff lightly. She very much recognizes the love fans have for her and she expresses that love back in ways that she can. I mean, when you read her Tumblr replies to people in like 2014, it like really gets to you because they're so sweet. Like reassuring girls who'd gone through breakups. She once made a song, a playlist of breakup songs for fans. She has baked cookies for fans when they come to visit. She sent them gifts, like including a painted paintings of her lyrics she's visited fans at hospitals and um donated to their GoFundMes sorry I gosh yeah the GoFundMes even during COVID like I remember there's this one uh young woman in the UK she paid Mm -hmm. out the remainder of her GoFundMe that was left so she could attend uni yeah or she was giving you know she would give to a wide variety of GoFundMes and she she would never do it like she would sign her name, but she would never publicize it. If if it got publicized, it would be the what was it receivers? Yeah, volition to share that. Mm-hmm. Definitely, like um, when she donated two hundred and fifty k to Kesha to help Kesha's legal fees. We only knew about that because Kesha's mother tweeted about it, mm-hmm. and then it was like later confirmed by like their p- media teams or whatever because people were like, "Oh, she did this." And that's the thing, there are so many things we don't know about. Like I've read two, I've read separate things over the years from people in the industry, like in interviews or whatnot, and how just she is known for giving a lot that we never hear about. Right. Yeah. And that's, it's like, she really does a lot that we just never know about. And I think that's almost more touching because it means it's not about the attention for her. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just about helping people like but she's even I think oh, go that, ahead. that relationship with her fans though mm-hmm. and I think that's what is different is because she actively cultivates it like it's not mm-hmm. a oh I I was cultivating you and I affectionately refer to you as whatever but I'm not you know I, I keep a more firm boundary yeah so to speak or I go into all these other business ventures and I try to get you to come buy all these other things i mean you know more power to you whatever but it seems like every group of music stars have their stands that they have a name for them like for better or for worse with their behavior and Mm -hmm. the fact that taylor swift is still as popular as she is for as long as she has been and for the level of commitment her fans have Mm -hmm. it's not just like oh i'm eventually going to outgrow you it is just like you know they people have grown up with her yeah i can attest to that as someone who grew who's listened to her literally half my life and Uh. like I, i i feel like you can tell with the way her fans react to whatever she's doing like it's personal not in maybe a sense of parasocial or I'm going to be fanatical because like I'm a stan but more of like this is a person I really admire and I'm 
I very much vibe with her work. Definitely. Like, um, Teardrops on My Guitar was the first song I heard by her when I was like 12. And I heard the kids bop version first. And then I found her on YouTube. And for me, what stood out were the lyrics and the storytelling aspect. And in hindsight, I think one of the reasons I so resonated with Taylor Swift's music and just got hooked so quickly was because it was like one of the first instances of me experiencing the female gaze in media, like experiencing art made by a woman for the women about the female experience. And it just really, you know, I really got to have her as a role model growing up. And that was really important. You know, I didn't really have a mother I could look up to. I didn't have any sisters. For me, it was like, when I was feeling bad, I could just think about Taylor Swift and, you know, how would she, you know, what would she do? Or she would maybe want better for me. And that was very important to have like someone model how to grow into womanhood, you know, because mm -hmm. she's like almost eight years older than me, seven and a half. So like, as I was going through my teens, she was going through her twenties and now she's in her thirties and I'm going through my twenties. So it's like, I have this, so as a fan, as many other fans have, we have someone to look up to whose work is so vulnerable and personal while still being so universal. We can have like these almost guide stones as we go forward. Um, you know, I have a hard time listening to The Archer because the song calls me the fuck out. And, but it's also like a song I need to hear because it's so much a song about recovery and figuring out your shit as an adult. And I just really appreciate having that in my life and for so long because it has been such a positive influence on me. And I get, so, I did, this is what I say, like when we say she's a millennial power icon, for me, it's A, it's the longevity. And it's the way that she has just been able to play with genre in a way that seems very organic. It doesn't feel like a stunt. No. It feels like uh, this is something that she's been wanting to do and explore. So she did it. Yeah. Anytime someone's like, oh, she went pop to like, you know, get sales or whatever. I'm just like, do you know how hard it is for a country artist to transition successfully into pop? And also it was not something her record label wanted her to do. She had to fight to do pop. She was not like pushed into it. Mm -hmm. And so it's just been really cool to see her succeed with everything she tried and wanted to push. Well, it's the way that she plays with genre, the way that she is able to, it's not even that she necessarily reinvents invents herself, but just shows like I'm being open with where I am in my life. This is literally just me growing up. Exactly. And then just, again, the relationship that she has with her fans and the way she's cultivated it and the way that she reaches out to, you know, and again, like she's got detractors that have just decided, like, I like tearing this person down because whatever bullshit reason. And they're like, oh, she's going to be dethroned by the Billie Eilish, the blah, 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 blah. Like, well, okay, but every time people accuse her of these things, she does the exact opposite. She reached out to Olivia Rodrigo. Yeah, and she literally mentioned once in an interview how she's had like over two dozen new artists reach out to her when they're having their first bad media backlash, freaking out, and she like gives them PR advice for free, basically. You know, she's very like big on being a mentor to the younger people, the newer people in the industry. I think partially because she's been in the industry so long and had to grow mm -hmm. up in it. She wants to like provide that support, which is a very beautiful thing to see. You know, anytime I see Olivia Rodrigo talk about how Taylor Swift sent her a handwritten letter, you know, encouragement and advice, I just get really warm inside. It's like, oh. I, to me, it's just, it's a little bit ridiculous that, how old is she again? 30? She is 31. She's turning 32 in December. Okay. So to me, this seems very bad faith in that you want to hold things a woman said when she was like 19, 20, 21, and still hold that against her over a decade later when she's now 30 something and never, ever let it go. I'm like, why? When she's obviously like, she, she, you know, she's not the same person. You wouldn't do this with anybody else. But you refuse to let go of this bone. I'm like, why does she live rent free in your head like this? 
I think for a lot of people, she is so relatable that they then project all their insecurities onto her. And that's one reason you see so many women get so violent towards her. Because you just like, you are picking some super basic, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying she's perfect. Oh, no. Yeah. You know, I told, I told you, you like, I've already said, you know, things I side eye her for. Some of them I've changed my mind on. Some of them I still kind of side eye her for. But I'm like, the things that people still go on about, I'm like, man, it has been over a decade. You obviously know she's not the same person she was then. Like, why is she living rent free in your heads that you still want to go on about this? That says way more about you than it does about her. Yeah, it's just, it really kind of reveals the power of misogyny and how deep it runs. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Anyways. Yeah, she's had a career spanning well over a decade, probably 15, 16 years at this point. Since she was a teenager. 15 years, yeah. Yeah, the way that she can just, it seems effortless. I know it's very deliberate on her part because she doesn't do anything without thinking about it. Um, You know, one of the things that Andrew Lloyd Webber said when they, they were talking to him recently about cats, you know, we talked about, he said the only good experience from that besides getting a dog was working with Taylor Swift. And he was so amazed that she showed up She'd done all the homework. She went further than cats. She went into T.S. Eliot. Like she was ready and locked and loaded. It was so funny because two critics at the time tweeted about how she should have directed cats because she probably would have had a better handle of what it would should have been. Mm-hmm. And it was so true though, because she's a theater nerd who loves cats. Like honestly, she like, did a, a commercial where she rode a catacorn. Like she is so dorky and just embraces the crazy cat lady vibes like i'm like she, everybody uh, some of the criticism like oh she just has to be perfect and everything and i'm like this lady over here that's gleefully riding a catacorn and fully living her best cat lady life that that that's who we're talking about that one i know i, I was thinking upset because she has the gall to be like i want to keep my private life private I was more open when I was younger. I don't want to do that anymore. There's things I want to keep private. Is, is What? Yeah. Yeah. Like I think about that um, article I wrote about male musician, male critics writing about, you know, songs written by women for the Caleb Meyer trio and just how just so many people have a problem with females musicians have boundaries and aren't willing to give them more than a persona. Like Taylor Swift doesn't have necessarily a persona, but she definitely has a private side, which is fine. She, I, that's great for her. It's just a lot of people have a hard time with that. And I think that's one of the reasons- You shat all over her for being too open about her private life. And then she was like, all right, I, you know what? This is it. I'm drawing a line. My private life is my private life. Now you're shitting on her for being too private. Like, come on. Yeah, and that's honestly one of the reasons why people didn't like Reputation, because it's very much a firm, I'm drawing boundaries, you don't get all of me kind of album, you know. Ah, Reputation's so good. Sorry. I mean, there's also the Kim Ye stuff, which is, we're not going to get into in this episode, but anyways, millennial power icon, 15-year career, constantly expands. I'm not even saying she she doesn't reinvent herself. She just keeps growing. She constantly grows from genre to genre, loops back around to do sub genres like she's amazing she's cultivated this very wholesome sort of relationship with her fans her music is innovative and it's deliberate and it's purposeful and creative i still say she doesn't get near as much credit for being a lyricist songwriter as she should be getting but you know what She's doing pretty good, and she lives in a lot of people's heads rent-free. Heck yeah. You know, for a lot of people that try to say she's a has-been, y'all sure are talking about her a lot. That's what I'm going to end that with. (laughs) Yes. And I really, really look forward to Red, and it's going to be the bops of the season. With Adele. Because we support multiple women at a time. (gasps) Yes. What? That's something you can do? Mind blown. Shocker. Anyways, thanks y'all for listening to this. Obviously, it's a much lighter episode. Um, We've had some heavier episodes in the last 
few months. So this was nice to kind of take a break and just gush over the swiftening. Yes. <laughs> the swiftening. So we hope you all have a safe and happy Halloween. If you have not gotten vaccinated for the love of anything you hold dear, please do so. Mask up if you're going out in public, wash your hands, all that good stuff. Social distance, be safe, have a safe Halloween, safe practices. We hope all of you enjoy the Taylor Swiftening that is going to happen in early November when the album drops. And if you like Adele too, we hope you love both of them. You have two awesome ladies making albums back to back. It's a dream team. So with that, we are going to sign off. Don't forget, we do have other podcasts on the Fundamentals Network. Obviously, there is Ladies First with moi and I don't know the French word for what Taylor would be. Um, well, with the uh, two of us. <laughs> we have um, Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. That's Rom. Uh, Faith Forge Academy, that is our every Friday uh, TTRPG live play. We also have Cannon Fodder, which has a new schedule starting this month. We will have behind the scenes little snips of what's coming up on new episodes every first and third Thursday of the month. And then new episodes will be every second and fourth Thursday of the month. So keep that in mind. There's just going to be Cannon Fodder material every week. And then I feel like I'm forgetting one. Um, we have All Bark, No Dice, which is yes. a D&D podcast. We also have Anime Attaché and which The Right to Survive. Should, yeah, Anime Attaché should be returning from hiatus pretty soon, if I remember correctly. And then what Taylor's going to say, Right to Survive. Uh, yes. Th- this is why I don't do well without Taylor, because she writes things down and I don't. <laughs> I know my job in this life and I'm cool with it. <laughs> Was that all of them? Yes. Okay. That's all for us. Y'all take care. Be safe. Taylor, closing words are yours. Swift on, my friends, and get ready for Ed.